Right to be read podcast, episode number 142. Interview with Stefano Dreska. You are listening to the Right to be Read podcast, and this is your host, Ani Alexander. Hey there, it's me, Annie Alexander, and you're listening to the Right to be Read podcast. As always, I hope that you're doing great, that your year has started in a great way, that you keep writing and everything is under track, and that this year we will be having loads of new books that were written and published by you. As to me, uh, today I'm going to present you with yet another interview, which hopefully will encourage and inspire you. Today I will be talking to Stefano Tresca. Stefano was employee number eight at Wind, a telecom startup company sold for $12.1 billion. Before joining this venture, he was a teacher of Italian for Koreans, a web designer, and an ice cream maker, just to name a few. So, bustling author and passionate about traveling, he worked in over 20 countries until he quit the corporate life in 2011. Today, Stefano enjoys mentoring startup companies, writing, and occasionally consults for corporations on innovation and investments. Many years ago, he fell in love with the city of London, and that's where he lives now when he's not traveling. So, I've known uh, Stefano from our online networks since quite a long time. And we met at Pat Flynn's first Kindle book group, uh, I, I think, the first time. And I realized that he will be a great guest for the podcast because he's got a lot to share. So in this interview, we'll be covering quite a lot and we will see a unique perspective on things that we haven't spoken about at least from that angle. So let's just start. Hello there. Hello, Stefano. I'm really happy to have you over. Welcome to the Right to be Read podcast. Thanks for having me and thanks to Pat Flynn for introducing us at the very beginning, I believe, one year ago. Oh, yeah. Pat Flynn is uh, amazing in terms of what he's done uh, with the group, the Kindle, his first Kindle book group on Facebook. Because, I mean, why I'm amazed is because it's not even the sphere he's usually involved at. So he built this 12,000 plus member yeah. group in a field where it's not like he's blogging about this or he's doing it on a daily basis. So it, it's really kind of impressive. Yeah. So by the way, I will be interviewing him pretty soon, like next week. So we'll we'll have him over to the podcast once again soon. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm one of your subscribers. So on, on iTunes, so I'll be there as well. Okay, great. So um, let's start from the beginning. I always kind of end up asking people this question, especially nonfiction writers, because I know that they've been doing loads of different things before they ended up writing their very yeah. first book. So let's kind of, you know, briefly go back and see how did you end up to where you are? Like what kind of things you've done? And if you've changed your pace, why was that? Okay, this is this is this is can take a while because I've done probably too much stuff. Uh, I'm I'm a bit too much curious, uh, so I start if uh, if you want the entire story in a few words. I start my career as a programmer. Oh. I I 
won a scholarship to go to law school, that it's probably the opposite of the spectrum of a programmer. <laughs> <laughs> and and I really suffer in you know in the three years of law school in a way because in the nineties of course lawyers were not what they are today. They were not used to use computers. But eventually when I finished law school, I was one of the few lawyer with a tech background in the nineties in Europe. And uh, that helped me to start uh, in working with the startups. Um, and so I start uh, in, in a very big telecom company that um, was later sold for, uh, don't laugh, 12.1 billion euro. Wow. <laughs> so, so I didn't make much of the money there because at the time, the 90s in Europe, you didn't have stock option. But that really helped me to, to build reputation and... Uh, two options. One, make a career, spend a lot of time in Europe, London, whatever, and or be a consultant and travel. And because I really, really loved traveling and meeting other culture, I had the chance to spend a few other years working in a few countries in Europe in this big or smaller startup and then spending four fantastic years of my life almost as a digital nomad mostly in Asia and between Asia and Europe, I would say. So that's, that's my professional career back to London now after so many years. And I'm really enjoying the city, of course, and the city is growing so fast, but it's also fun, a lot of culture. So uh, now I have found another way to travel that it's writing the book and being asked to speak all around the world. So uh, I basically the goal is to have someone that pay me to travel. I will say that's the main reason why I did write this book. Okay, okay. So, guys, I, another reason we never mentioned on our podcast for writing a book. I mean, we spoke about making money. We spoke about gaining reputation, about actually growing the business and growing our rates. But we never spoke about having someone to pay for your travel. So that's that's another motivation for you to start a nonfiction book. And when you mentioned culture, I kind of thought about um, we're having an accent-packed uh, podcast today, by the way. It's kind of, you know, your accent and my accent. <laughs> it's kind of oh, yeah, yeah. Well, your accent is great, but I still have this thick Italian accent, so it's quite fun to be in London and have this accent and to go out and speak in <laughs> conference and be invited at 10 Downey Street, that's the government palace, and still be the only one with this very thick accent. <laughs> so I'm definitely not British, yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's just, I mean, the way you were telling your story, I had a feeling that you kind of, you know, you found what you enjoy doing, and you kind of, you found your place, and you're pretty happy with what what you've got and now you ended up writing a book how did you come with this idea and why did you want to start writing a book at all of i would say i have always well when you're a writer you always start i believe as a reader so since when i was a kid i was reading really everything around fiction and non-fiction. What happened, actually, this is my second book, because what happened is that uh, when I came back to London in 2010, it was very hard to raise money for companies. 
was not as hard as in other countries, but it was uh, definitely more difficult than in Silicon Valley. So we had to start doing crowdfunding. And so I became a sort of expert in crowdfunding. And so I ended up writing, being asked to write a 10-page analysis on what we do in Europe. But because my character, when I start writing the 10-page books, eventually, when I finished this small PDF, the PDF was 328 pages. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so I call my friend in New York that asked this PDF and say, well, now you have to pay me or we have to publish these 300 pages because I spent the last two months writing this stuff. And we published the book and the book was successful and I st- different people start calling me to help them with their crowdfunding campaign and or speak at some conference. I don't love so much to do consultancy because at the very end, as you know, you trade time for money and time is limited while money is not limited. <laughs> so so I still love to help people, but uh, on a limited scale. I don't want to, you know, to, to make my entire salary of consulting. So what happened is that I deal with so many uh, startups here at the university or in the in what we call startup accelerator about two main areas. In our accelerator, we do financial technologies, payments, and what we call future city tech. So everything that is going to happen in the next few years, drones, artificial intelligence, transport, including shared economy, Uber. And again, I probably the less geeky of the geeks there. <laughs> because because I'm so fascinated, not necessarily from the tech aspect of this business, but from the cultural impact of this business. Just think about artificial intelligence. In 10 years, the probably doctors are going to disappear as they know them now. This is going to impact the society, not just the tech. And so I decide I, I like so much to write the first book and to to do all the things connected to the book that I decide to write a couple of books per year. That's what I'm doing now. <laughs> so I'm on the second book, became a bestseller as well. I believe because it was in such a niche market, future city tech and what's going to happen in the next five years, that I don't have a huge number of readers, but that readers definitely want the book. Mm-hmm. And that's probably what it's really interesting for your listener of the podcast, because... So many people suggest to write book that sell. You yeah. know, if you go online and you do all these courses, you or all buy books about how to be rich in five days on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> you always, you know, people say, okay, write 20 books per year about how to be efficient, how to self-organize, how to do whatever, but probably you don't love this stuff. You don't have a passion or an experience for this thing. But everybody's going to buy it, the market is big, so everybody suggests you to write this kind of book. My experience is that you probably have a space, have an option to do exactly the opposite. If you like something because your job or because your passion or because this is what you do in the evening when you come back home from the job, uh, just, just share it. Because, yes, you are not going to make a huge amount of money. 
I'm never going to make as much money as The Martian or Harry Potter. Never. Even if I write 30 books. Mm-hmm. But the revenue and the satisfaction that come outside the sales of the single books on Amazon can be impressive. I mean, just this yeah. year, I've been invited in Portugal, Poland. Uh, I've been invited to Buckingham Palace. That's the Queen Palace in London. Uh, it's, I mean, it's crazy stuff just in less than six months. Let, let's get there. But first of all, let's kind of, you know, get there step by step. So let's say yeah. you did your very first book. You wrote that long book of 300 something pages. That was the first one, right? Yes, and that's absolutely a mistake, I believe. Okay. And so that's my first <laughs> advice for your listener, <laughs> because uh, people, there, there are maybe some exceptions, but 320 pages for a nonfiction book are really too much. Yeah. So what I'm doing now, I'm splitting the book uh, in three or four different books, So how to do the marketing for crowdfunding, how to do the video for crowdfunding, Uh reduce the price, Mm -hmm. and eventually eventually update the books with what I've learned doing a few campaigns this year and put two, three, or four books on Amazon again at a very small price. It could be even $2.99 or $99. So what was your process? I mean, very often writers struggle with writing their first book because uh, they procrastinate a lot. (laughs) They are afraid of failure. So they are really afraid about what people will think about what they've written. They kind of, you know, they have many excuses that keep them back and they end up spending too much time writing less and at some point giving up. So what made you actually go forward and finish the book? Okay, so the first thing was that they asked me to write 10 pages Mm -hmm. and actually 12. That was the initial request. Can you write 12 pages? We are going to share your page with our customer on a PDF for free. So I believe that's the first trick. Uh, if you start writing a 300-page book in nonfiction, you're never going to make it. Fiction is different. It can be, you know, passionate. You can be Hemingway, but I'm, I'm not going there. Mm-hmm. But nonfiction, what I've learned from the first book, and again, that's a mistake that I've done with the first book and with the second book that I'm trying to not do again, is to write the book and then promote the book. What you can do is to write one chapter of the book. Because what I'm, what's happening now is that I'm taking out chapter from the book and pitching them to newspaper. And, and some of the newspaper are publishing them. <laughs> and at one point, I realized that was exactly the wrong strategy. I should have wrote an article for a newspaper, become popular, wrote another article from a newspaper, become popular, take five or six articles, transform them in a chapter, and then start writing other articles and other chapters. Because the problem of procrastination is that you have these huge 300-page books in front of you, and you know you're never going to finish today. Mm. But if you're writing one chapter, and this chapter can be published, or an, an abstract of this chapter can be published, then again, this is something you can do in the weekend. And the moment you start writing 12 pages, you write 300 pages. 
that's because you have to trick yourself. <laughs> that's a trick. Oh yeah, exactly. And and then like that, I guess you are uh, validating the idea for your book. You kind of you are check with these small pieces. You are checking what the reaction and feedback of the reader is. So you will know in advance how they react. And if there is, you know, there are people there who are interested in the subject or not. And you can also change, of course, the the. Mm, Direction. the subject, yeah. the direction of the book, because, of course, you have all this feedback. I did it actually um, uh, posting a few of the chapters on LinkedIn, and uh, I believe that... And then you know what you're thinking, okay, LinkedIn is such a social, boring, so such a boring social um, media. That's what I thought until recently, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and everybody think that included me, but then you realize that, uh, that um, of course, uh, now LinkedIn is a good platform for writing and all the people that are on LinkedIn are mostly professional. They're making money so they can buy your book. And especially, they can be director of big companies or marketing director of big companies and call you for consulting or call you for a conference. But what is very interesting is that, of course, uh, if you can write something very short, I would say 500 words, mm -hmm. as, you know, we were used to do with blogs until three years ago, and now the blogs have these long articles. But of course, LinkedIn is professional. So people usually doesn't have the time to read a very long article when they are at the office, and that's when they check LinkedIn the most. So what is very interesting, that, and that's, I believe, a tactics that a marketing tactic that every person writing a non-fiction book can use is it's what I did. Uh, I picked all the short chapter in my book. At the time, I was already written probably half of the book. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I, I share this chapter with a few people I know or a few people that were, you know, not like acquaintance, as mm -hmm. they used to say mm -hmm. here. And they vote the best chapter. Oh, so, I see. Yeah. So, so you can do two things at this point, and you should probably do both. The first one is the, the chapter they love, the, it can become the first chapter of your book. Because as you know, when you go and buy a book on Amazon, you don't necessarily have to pay the book. You can get an abstract of the book for free. Yeah, you can look and inside that, it, yeah. Yeah, you can look inside, but you can also download on your Kindle. And I do all the time. Every time I'm not completely convinced about a book, I download it for free the first 10%, 5%, I read it, and if I like the style, then the, mm, the purchase becomes an emotional purchase because you're already in front of your Kindle or on your mobile. Mm -hmm. So many people now are reading on mobile. I've seen all this marketing analysis. And, and if they like it, at the very end, Amazon asks them, okay, did you like the book? Click here, buy it. So it's really just one tap. Yeah. One tap, you got the money. So it, very, it could be very useful to put this, uh, this chapter that everybody loved and it's short at the beginning. And at the same time, you put this chapter on LinkedIn and LinkedIn has a lot of groups for everything. Yeah. So if you are on nonfiction, they have groups for Bitcoin, they have groups for artificial intelligence, every crazy things there, they have many groups. 
So what happened is that eventually people vote as usual one of the chapter that I was less convinced to put in the book. Say, this is short, <laughs> this is more personal, this is my story. It's a little story about me going to Silicon Valley last time and having a ride with Uber and a very crazy driver. And mm. I say, this is, you know, I don't have to put this chapter on the book. Oh, no, and you course, do. <laughs> and of course, people say, oh, this is like, I would say, seven person on ten say, this is the best one. And I put it on LinkedIn and I got 38,000 views. Wow. I never got so many views <laughs> in, you know, killing myself writing blogs or writing super smart analysis, what I thought was super smart analysis anywhere. And so, okay, okay, I, I should definitely sell the book now. I can, 38,000 <laughs> people, I can do it. And that's when I, you know, I put at the end of the article, and by the way, if you like this story, click here, buy the book, you got more story. And uh, okay, 72 hours, the book was a bestseller. And when you got this ribbon, bestseller, oh, yeah. you put the ribbon on the cover. And again, people ask you to go and speak at conference and do consulting more because, hey, you're a best-selling author. That's so oh, yeah. cool. I, do you think that it's, uh, I mean, not to undermine your success, but just, you know, uh, just like a question. Do, do you think that people are kind of, you know, overvaluing this bestseller ranking on Amazon? Be because, I mean, there are so many ways to get there and not specifically with, with kind of, you know, um, honest sales. There are so many ways to trick the system. And you can even be a best-selling author just for one hour, but you stay like that forever. So I'm <laughs> just, you know. I agree. I agree. But at the very end, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, the rule of the market. So if the market thinks that this is valuable, this is valuable. So, so, and I believe it's especially valuable, again, if you write nonfiction, mm. because a lot of the people that are going to employ you or to call you for a conference are uh, at CEO level, are, you know, big director, director of marketing, director of human resource, directors of events. And in order to become a director, unless you have a startup in Silicon Valley and it's Facebook, most of the time you are over 50. And so, of course, they come from a different world. So they see Amazon bestseller. They see maybe some good review. They check your profile. Of course, the profile is very important. But again, if you are on LinkedIn, it's really easy to check your profile. They see that, yeah, you probably understand something about what you're writing for. And so they call you. So yes, it's probably overvaluated. Yes, probably in five years when the new generation is going to have power, it's not going to be so uh, important. But in five years, we are going to find another strategy to make money. So who cares? Okay, I see. Yeah, so let's let's just understand one thing. I mean, usually um, the first-time writers are a bit confused about all these steps one has to take in order to self-publish. Like, you know, you wrote yeah. the thing, you ended up with a draft manuscript, and then there are so many things you need to do to yeah. the book before it becomes a published book. So how did you approach that part? I mean, did you, uh, I don't know, did you research some things? Did you out? I mean, wh how did you decide what to do with it before you publish? 
So when I every time I do a new venture, I'm a sort of a nerd. So I really try to tend to read everything about it. It's probably too much. However, this is not something I would suggest to everybody because uh, it's what they say. It's like um, pro- procrastination by information. So oh, yeah. sometimes you keep reading and watching podcasts and watch YouTube videos for two years and you haven't read your book mm. yet. So, yes, I read a lot of stuff. I subscribe to your podcast. But <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's probably not the best way to do it. I believe that the best way to do it is to make a long list of titles of what you want to put in the book. So going back, and the next book is you write the list of ch- titles of the chapter, and this then is you're going to file inside this title. And it's quite easier. When you have a container, it's easier to file the container than just start rambling, and you end up with, again, 300 pages, and probably you have... Uh, write again and again about the same subject on and you got a bit confused so i would say make a list once you have a list you in my case i stick my list uh in front of my desk at home really stick on the wall Mm. (laughs) and so in the weekend say or in my case from seven to nine in the morning i have a look at the list and say okay i'm supposed to write chapter three but I don't really feel to write chapter three, but I can write chapter 11 because I'm in the mood of writing about artificial intelligence and how this is going to destroy white collar jobs in the next five years. And so you really file this, this single chapter. The trick is to, again, to divide something that is really big in a lot of small steps. Because if you have this list of titles, you can decide in the morning to write uh, just a chapter about drones or artificial intelligence or whatever you are writing or. Um, while if you have to write a 300-page book, of course, you go scared, you're never going to finish and you procrastinate. And after two years, three years, four years, you still haven't started your book. Yeah. And if you have to publish this chapter... If you decide to publish your first five chapter, of course, again, you have an immediate bump in, uh, of your self-esteem or you have a goal, you yeah. have a goal to reach. Yeah, yeah, true. So let's talk about, I mean, you briefly mentioned all the benefits you got from the fact that you had a best-selling nonfiction book published. So, I mean, there are many books published out there many nonfiction books and I don't believe that many of them are being invited to Buckingham Palace and I don't believe <laughs> that many of those writers actually get invitations to speak in different countries so did you do anything on top of oh, just you having a bestseller and yeah, you did yes us- yes and you should well uh, of course I'm a bit lucky here because I already work in this environment. Mm. So uh, some of the people already know me. However, this is usually the people that are never going to invite you for a conference. <laughs> because startups are poor. <laughs> so so um, what I do um, 
But first of all, there is a very effective rules that we use with tech startup that's called the 50-50 rules. You've probably heard the 80-20 rules, the so-called Pareto principle, yeah. like you do 80% of the money from 20% of the customer, etc., etc. Yes. And this is very effective and I use it, but uh, it works only after you have decided what to do. So you check I don't know how many hours you spend in promoting your book and you see that you're selling the most on Facebook, then you do more Facebook. Yeah, fantastic. However, what we make it wrong sometimes, uh, and that's happened to engineers for the startup and programmers for the startup, but I've noticed that exactly the same for authors, is that we fell in love with our products. So we are writers or we are wannabe writers and we keep writing so the 50-50 rules is every time you spend one hour writing, mm-hmm. you spend an hour marketing what you have done. And doesn't, it's not a niche problem if you don't know how to, to do the marketing because eventually you are going to learn how to do it. But the idea is, yes, I write from 7 to 9 every morning when I can. That's, what, that's my goal. Mm-hmm. And I spend two hours, even losing time, some time, trying to sell what I've done. And going on a practical, uh, going on practical advice, uh, one can be pitch conferences. There are a few fantastic um, websites out there that I will suggest everybody. Uh, one of these websites uh, is based in the States, but is international, and it's called pardon my Italian accent, <laughs> lanyard.com, that's L-A-N-Y-R-D.com, or if you prefer, Lima, Alpha, November, Yankee, Romeo, Delta.com. <laughs> and this is a huge list of conference from all around the world. So you spend your two hours just pitching them. Hey, do you want to, you know, at the beginning, you probably... Uh, ask them if they want to refund your tickets and you're going to speak for free. And then in time, you know, people know you and eventually someone at the conference that is also marketing director for his company is going to call you and pay you. And the other one is to contact uh, the local chamber of commerce or the local uh, business, whatever is, really depends on what's the subject of your book. And, and again, you start from there. But something that, again, it's most of the time undervaluated, I believe, is what I call the hidden superpowers. So the secret superpowers are the superpowers that you have, but nobody knows, like Spider-Man. <laughs> but <laughs> most of the time, each of us has some strength that we are not aware to have just because they are ignored by the person around us. In my case, for instance, was being based in London. So um, London is very hot now. Uh, The tech and the business is skyrocketing. Banks, new kind of banks, banks by mobile. Really, it's it's really, it's really uh, a strong place to do business. And it's very hot in the movies and it's very hot all around. So if I teach a conference in London, I'm in London, they're in London, all the speakers are in London. So I might be not successful. 
But if I pitch a conference in Poland or in Portugal, for them, could be very powerful. Because powerful. you're from London. Yeah, because, right. hey, by the way, we also have a speaker from London. Okay, yeah. And I, I don't know. <laughs> and I can be the worst speaker ever. But still, in their brochure and the website is, we got a speaker from London. And this can be, I mean, this doesn't have to be a place. This can be that you're really good in making jokes or in making video or in making a podcast. Uh, whatever it is, you always have, most of the time, a hidden superpower. And you don't know about it because everybody around you gives this power for granted. So my suggestion is speak with someone, with your friends or acquaintance or people on Facebook, outside your area, uh, even outside your country, and ask them, what do you think it's cool of, you know, my profile? And they can say, hey, guy, you are from London. We would love to have someone like you to speak in South Italy or, you know, again. In last week, uh, last month, I wrote an article for uh, Asian Tech News. And again, why? I believe part of the reason is because I'm from London. Okay, so we, we will have to find out our hidden powers. Guys, go, go to Facebook and LinkedIn and find your friends outside and, and ask them what's cool about you. <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I'll have to do that today, yeah. So we'll see what we've, we've got. So well, basically... You, you definitely have a lot. I mean, you have recorded more than 100 podcasts, so you definitely already know a lot of your superpowers. <laughs> Well, I have uh, my guests, I, I have recorded, so I know my guests' superpowers. I don't know mine, yeah. so <laughs> it's more about them. Well, pitching people. Huh? If you if you convince uh, more than 100 people, including Pat Flynn and Steve Scott and other people to be in your podcast, you're definitely really, really good in convincing people to give you an interview. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Mm. <laughs> True. Okay, so uh, let, let's just talk about, uh, you know, uh, nonfiction authors usually have their books as part of the whole puzzle of their business and their activities and their reputation. Like, you know, it, it's just one part of, it's not like you are a writer and you're doing it full time and that's all you do. So how you actually, what do you have as a role for your books in your whole big picture? Oh, well, in my case, it's probably a bit opposite because the book is helping me to have a career shift. Okay. So, um, but yes, it's clearly connected. The initial books are connected to what I was used to do in the last, in the last years. Um, I would say, as usual, prestige, credibility, you can sell more consulting if you're in the consulting business. Mm, however, you can also understand um, what you like just, um, just starting somewhere. What I mean is that um, I start my first book as what you have to do to be successful on a crowdfunding campaign. And, uh, and it was very funny to... Uh, interview a couple of people. The second book, I interviewed 36 people. <laughs> Instead of writing 40 chapters about technology, I mm. interviewed 36 people and I had just six or eight chapters by myself. I believe six or something like that. 
and uh, and now I see that it's, it's I really love this this idea of uh, convincing people, putting people on Skype or in person somewhere in the world. Uh, and probably my next book is going to be in a subject that is completely outside my area of expertise, my typical area of expertise, but still interviewing people. Eventually in time, uh, I can write a book about everything uh, I want if I become better and better in convincing people to give me an interview. And I interview some quite impressive, famous uh, person uh, in, the, in the last book. Mm-hmm. Okay, so basically, I mean, just, you know, I'm trying to wrap this up and understand what you've told me, because you've told things like I haven't heard yet before. So I want to emphasize on those. So first of all, um, you said something like that your books are helping you to make a career shift which is very important. So basically, if you want to make big changes and start doing things that you haven't done before, the book can bring you the credibility and prestige and uh, the attention of the people you will need in your new career, right? Yeah. Uh, The second thing you mentioned was that basically, uh, you know, once you start writing the book, make sure you keep small chunks of things you need to do so it's not so scary and you don't have this huge task and goal of writing 300 page books and the third thing which is I guess another important thing that one should take into consideration is that these days no one is reading very long nonfiction books so try to keep it kind of short and if needed make several books but shorter so people don't waste I mean don't really dedicate too much time on reading that book because they may not have that much time right? Well it's also a matter of price because if you go out with uh, 400 page books at 99 cents the first impression of people is this book is really bad, should be really bad because, I mean, if this guy is putting on the market 400 pages and 99 cents, I'm never going to buy this book. Yeah, so the first sure. problem you have is that if you write 400 pages, then you have to put the book at 9.99 or 12.99. That it's the maximum money price allowed from Amazon to give you a very, very good chunk of money. You know, if, if, yeah. uh, if one of your listeners is a bit new of Amazon, Amazon give you 30% of your revenue up to $298. So uh, if you sell a book at 99 cents, you got 30%. Uh, if you sell a book at 299, you get 70% up to 12.99. Over 12.99, your royalty go down again. again. So yeah. ironically, if you sell a book at $10, you make more money than if you sell a book at $20. And at the very end, money gives you freedom and it's passive income. So we should do, we should, we write also to make money. So, so the first problem is that if you write a book that is too long, uh, you have to put a high price. Yeah. And, yeah. and less people are going to buy the book. While if you have a lot of books from 99 cents, 2.99, 3.99, a lot of people are going to buy the book. And if they like the book, they're probably going to buy even the other book. I mean, I yeah. guess that if someone buy a book on how to do a video 
to raise money and be successful on Kickstarter, it's probably at the end, it's probably going to buy even my other book, How to Promote Your Campaign to the Journalist. The second thing is create space. Um, at the very end, uh, if, you, um, if you want to make money with a book, you still have to go with the paper book because a lot of people still read the book in paper, especially in Europe. So, so I thought that that was a thing of the past because I'm using just my Kindle since many years now, but I've noticed that, especially on these big books, I tend to sell maybe 20, 30% of my books as a paperback. And again, if the book is over 300 pages, the price on Create Space is going to be oh, gigantic. Yeah. Exactly. You won't be able to sell those. And because Create Space imposes you the minimum price because they want to, oh, of yeah. course, they want to make True. money. And so again, you are an unknown, unknown author. You are at the very beginning. You go out on the market and book a book, put a book out at $20.99. I don't think a lot of people are going to buy it. Yeah. True. Okay, like as a wrap up, like your very final biggest advice to newbie writers. Okay, so my final advice. First, um, do what we call in the startup community, time blocking. So block some time during the week on your calendar to write. And during that time, you only write. And start from there a very, very small chapter that eventually you can publish. And it's not a problem if nobody's going to read it. If you've got three likes on Facebook and one is the like of your mom, this is really not a problem because it's a way to start. Once you start, eventually you like it and you can write two books, three books, five, five books or 50. Because in the self-publishing industry, really sky's the limit. I see. Well, thank you very much for the interview. Thanks a lot for coming over. I um, I really think that this was a little bit different and we had a new information that we didn't have before. So thanks for that. And um, keep listening to the podcast. <laughs> Absolutely. I will. Thank okay. you very much. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, it seems like we've covered quite a lot today. I hope that you enjoyed the interview. If you did, please subscribe to it on iTunes to make sure that you don't miss an episode. And also leave a review if you have a minute or two for me. Otherwise, I will meet you in the next episode. I also have some big news and some new things coming out soon. But since it's not final yet, I don't want to share it with you yet. But I promise that I will be having a separate episode about that. So new solo episodes will be coming soon. Take care, keep writing. And I really thank you for listening to the show.